You are dialed in to the Success Line Podcast, the place where you get a chance to phone a friend, call in a lifeline, and ask a favor of someone who's been there and done that. This is Real People getting one-on-one coaching with Success Entrepreneurship Editor and New York Times bestselling author, Rory Vaden. Here's Rory. Hey there, it's Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group and your host of The Success Line. What you're about to hear is a real-life conversation with somebody that I am just meeting about the actual struggles they are facing each and every day in their life and their business. You and I are going to meet them at the same time. We're going to have an honest talk and then stick around at the very end and I'll do a debrief and a recap highlighting some of the biggest takeaways that you can apply to your own life. Let's get started. Welcome back to The Success Line. I'm so excited to introduce you to actually a friend of mine, Ed. Um, uh, This is a little bit of an unfair advantage because I've known Ed for a little bit here on and off for a couple years. We've we've worked together on some things and um, yet there is still always uh, this question I think that every entrepreneur has related to what's the right size of the business to grow to and how big do you want to be and how big is successful enough? And, um, we may talk a little bit about that, but, um, Ed is an amazing guy. I'm going to let him just kind of fill in the backstory, but he runs a marketing agency and, uh, yeah, I guess Ed tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you're up to and what you do and how long you've been doing it for. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting me be a part of the success line. That's for sure. Yeah, man, it's great to have you. No doubt, uh, and it's a great concept. I love what you're doing so far. It's just amazing. So, uh, so me, so I've got, as you said, I've got a marketing and branding firm uh, as opposed to an ad agency. We are basically a marketing department for hire, and I've owned my own business. Mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur, owned my own business for 18 and a half years. So, mm-hmm. uh, experienced a lot of the ups and a lot of the downs and a lot of the unknowns. Uh, my background is I uh, started off working for Chick-fil-A uh, when I was 15 in North Carolina and worked high school and college. I got to ran, run a Chick-fil-A when I was in college between my junior and senior year. And then I was on Chick-fil-A corporate staff from 89 to 99. So that was when Chick-fil-A was going from malls to freestanders, hitting that first billion dollar mark. Mm. Uh, and from there, I was recruited to a company here in San Antonio called HEB Grocery which if you're in the grocery retail industry, you know who we are. If uh, you're not from Texas, you may not. But basically one of the, probably one of the most respected food retailers in the nation, Uh, now about a $29 billion company, uh, solely based in Texas. And uh, there I was responsible for food service marketing. So everything was ready to eat, ready to eat, ready to serve. And uh, you, the... The short answer is three years into my HEB corporate, my wife looked at me and said, are you happy? And I said, with you? (laughs) And she (laughs) said, I better know the answer to that question. She said, are you happy at HEB? And after five minutes of silence, I revealed I wasn't. And she Mm. said, what are you going to do about it? 
I was like, wow. And, uh, look at her holding your feet to the fire. Like, accountability, exactly. you know, a well-yoked partner, let's just say. And so, uh, a much longer story for perhaps another time. But, uh, what I realized is that they had attracted me because of my five core strengths, um, uh, ideation, uh, strategic winning others over connectedness and positivity. However, the role had really become much more of an operations role than a marketing role. It was more day-to-day versus six months. And I realized that I like to be six months out, not as much day-to-day. And so she said, what makes you happy? And I said, I like helping other people sell stuff. She said, you want to be a salesman? I said, no. What really? This was 2003, Rory. I said, I like helping people do all they can with what they got. And then she said, can we make money doing that? And I said, I think so. And mm-hmm. 36 hours later, I had a one-page business plan, resigned two weeks later, and that was 18, almost 19 years ago. I love that. Well, you know, and I would believe that it's like, I believe that whatever the thing is that makes you happy, the answer to that question, can we make money doing that? It's like, the answer is yes. I mean, yeah. there's, enough, there's enough tools that exist today that it's like if all of us pursue the thing we feel most called to, it's because somebody else out there needs it. So I I love that she, you know, held you accountable to that and did that. So tell us how big are you today? Like, give us a, give us a sense of like what's the size of your team and yeah. All so that. so so we're you know under we're right around two million dollar company. Um, okay. We've got uh, 10, 11, 11 team members, uh, full time to part time. Um, and it's really funny in our industry, the ad, the ad industry, which is, you know, we're not an ad agency, but we're kind of categorizing that, you know, it's funny, the metrics of success are how much advertising you can convince someone to buy (laughs) or how Uh many people you're willing to hire. And to me, that has never been the metric that we've measured our business by. And that's what kind of creates kind of the, the, uh, per, uh, the question of the day, let's just say, is, uh-huh. you know, that... So before that, we get to the question, yep. so just to clarify, though, because like a lot of times ad agencies do this, right? Somebody will say, oh, I, I run a $10 million ad agency, and it's like actually $7 million of it is f- flow through revenue. That's just, yeah. they're just placing that ad spend. So when you say $2 million, that's basically like what's coming into your firm. That is for direct revenue. That yes. You, yeah, yes. that's I actual mean, we, revenue. We do have management fees for advertising, but that is consulting services or creative services. Basically, they're paying for our brain power or they're paying for our ability to activate the brand. We believe marketing is either messaging or methodology, and okay. I think we're really good at both. Okay. All right. So good. So you got like 10, 11 people on the team, 15 mm-hmm. years. You got a multi-seven-figure business here. Uh, 18 and years, almost 19 years. 18 years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, I guess, what's your, what's your question? Like, what's, 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 the, what's the biggest issue facing your business? Like, what are you wrestling with right now? So I, it's so funny because I mean, we've, I probably, you know, uh, I've probably helped other brands as well as I'm also a partner in a restaurant group in Atlanta. So this is not my only enterprise, but uh, relative to, to our company, our firm, um, you know, we have, we probably helped create, let's, let's call it $250 million of income and revenue for those we've served at least. Cool. Probably a low ball average, but I'm okay with that. And, um, you know, it's funny that 
many of our clients, we try to help them get a sales goal and hit milestones and that kind of thing. Well, I've never had a revenue milestone. Yeah, I guess I probably you know wanted to get to a million dollars for the like I've made the million dollars, but um, I don't have like an end goal for this enterprise that. Uh, for it to have been successful, it needs to be at a certain revenue. I have measured it uh, more by the health of myself, the health of uh, my team, and the health of those we serve. Uh, And I've been challenged the last couple of weeks with a fresh look at like just the richness of talent I have as a team. And also I'm 54 years old and I want to have done all I can with what God has blessed and enabled through me and through us, mm-hmm. but because there's not a specific target. Was this your I'm wife sure. challenging you again? Did she lay the smack down and be like, what are you doing, <laughs> slacker? Are you ready to like turn it up a notch or what? You know, it's funny. Uh, she, she's the other, she's the other side of it. She's like, don't feel like you have to do too much. She, she has been very grounding in the balance of life, which I do not believe is, you know, equilibrium. It's, you know, some days a little more work, some days a little more family, mm-hmm. but um, no, it, it's so just is this the you pressing Rory. or is it your team or who's, who's even asking this question here? So um, are you familiar with C12? Yeah. Yeah, so you know C12 how it works. You've got fellow business leaders that they- uh, Are you in C12? I am in C12. Okay, okay. Yep, sure enough. I'm an yeah. EO as well as C12. So it's like a and local Christian business mastermind community. If, if, exactly. you don't, if you don't know, they meet every month and they basically other business owners and they kind of like, you know, have like a, a board as they call it to bounce ideas off, share what you're up to in your business, et cetera, et cetera. And so apparently someone in Ed C12 group said he was a lazy slacker and he needed to get busy. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It was not lazy slacker. It was just the opposite. It was, you've got so many things going on. You've got mm. the book and you're speaking and you've got Gusto restaurants in Atlanta and you've got B2I Creative and you have this incredible team. And the mm. deal is... Are you doing all, they literally asked me without asking me, are you doing all you can? They, they, we did an onsite two weeks ago. They all came and met my team. I was on vacation the entire week, met my mm-hmm. team and they came back and basically said, you've got this incredible brain trust. Couldn't you serve more people if you thought about it? And so I'm like, I, I I'm confident. Yes. I'm confident that we could turn up. Uh, the intensity and bring more clients in, but then when do you say it's enough? When do you when do you know that you've you built it big enough? Because I only have to answer to myself, well, and God, but you know, my my team, and so it's literally like there's no milestone. So when do you know that you built your business to the right size? Mm-hmm. So that effectively is your question right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm comfortable with how you grow a brand obviously. Um, but it's like, how do you know you've grown the brand to the right size? Uh huh. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you're underutilizing the gifts that you've been given? Hmm. <laughs> Yes, I do. I mean, mm. the I mean that's part of the reason why um 
I'm writing and speaking in addition to this, but it was that I can touch more people than we have the capacity to serve. And I'm confident that um, me and my team can help people do more with what they got. Um, you know, you know, it's, it's, wow. Yeah, I guess I do. So, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think here's what this makes me think of, which is not an answer to your question, but I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. Um, and I would, I would, in, in, in one regard, I would bucket this under the concept of enoughness, which I Ooh. think is, is something that the world really is struggling with, especially the yeah. world of entrepreneurs is enoughness. Like, when do I have enough money, enough followers, enough trophies, enough time, enough friends, enough like... And, you know, we have such, such the whole, the hustle kind of culture of very much, which I believe in and talk about, or would take the stairs and all of that. Um, but then I think it's, it's a balance, right. Of going, okay, well, if, if all I'm doing is constantly moving the goalpost, then, you know, why am I doing that? Um, and, um, but it, it reminds me of the story. If you, if you heard the story about, I'm going to butcher this, but it's like, the story about this, this, this rich corporate guy who goes on vacation and he meets a fisherman like down in Mexico and he walks up to the fisherman and you know, he like catches, he, he gets some fresh fish and he tells the guy, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like you could turn to make a business out of this. You ever heard this story? No. Okay. So it's good. I'll, I'll totally butcher it, but I'll give you the, give you the short version of it. So he basically tells this fisherman, he goes, well, what do you, what do you do every day? He goes, well, I, I go out and I fish and, you know, I come home and spend time with my family. And the businessman is like, well, man, you could, you could make a total business out of this thing. And the fisherman goes, oh, what, what would that mean? And he said, well, you know, you could hire extra people and they could all go out and they could all fish. And then, you know, with all the, you teach them how to fish and with all those extra fish, you could, you could sell, you could sell, you know, more things. And he goes, okay. And then, and then what would happen? And he goes, well, I guess you could probably bring on investors and you could scale even larger and you could have a full fleet. And, um, and then, uh, and he said, oh, okay, well, well then what would happen? And he kind of goes through all this stuff. And, and, and the, you know, after he asked this kind of like rich corporate guy enough times, well, and then what would happen? And then what would happen? He goes, you know, the guy says, well, then I, I guess if you did all that, then all you could just wake up every day and spend time with your family and do what you love. And he said, well, that's what I'm doing now. Um, and it's a good like reminder of going, you know, what is this? So I, I think, like I said, that's not an answer to your question, but I think this is a good question that people don't ask enough. Um, and I think there is a, there's a reconciling balance here. Um, of going, what is, what is the, what is the purpose of the business? Um, and what is the, what is the vision of the business? Uh, And, and, you know, and what is the, what is the plan for the business? Like you said, you're, you're 54. Um, right. So at some point, you know, you're going to have to deal with, what happens next? Um, so I mean, 
so I get your team brought this idea to you going, Hey, you have this amazing team of which you do have an amazing team. I happen to know several of your leaders and they're really incredible. Um, and I guess you're bringing this question up because there was something about what they said that made you think about it. And, and, you know, I guess that's why I asked you, do you feel like you're somehow underutilizing what you've been given? And you're saying, yes. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. So I, um, hmm. so I, I, I tend to believe that when we, um, when we consider or approach a change or make a deliberate change, there's typically three causes, vision, fear, or pain, right? The, we either see a better option, we either um, have some pain that we got to like fix it, or we're afraid of something that might happen if we don't, okay? And so, um, you know, the uh, I almost, I was, I think one of the reasons why I didn't get into this industry sooner was because I had a horrible experience when I was at Chapel Hill in uh, college where I interned in an ad agency and the ethics and the humanity of the whole situation was deplorable. And I don't mean just because it wasn't Chick-fil-A, because I mean, I was blessed to get to work for Chick-fil-A for 17 years and have mm -hmm. that kind of culture, right? But um, it was just a situation where I didn't, it was all about like billable hours and all that stuff. And so, so that kind of turned me off to the business model of like getting big agencies. And then the other thing is a lot of time, it happened to one of my team members who just joined us, you know, a month and a half ago, uh, an ad industry veteran as soon as COVID hit. And um, even though she had been with the organization for almost 20 years off and on, um, COVID hit, she was nearly immediately furloughed then laid off. Uh, and this industry is known for, we'll hire you while it's good, but if we lose a big account, you're out of here. And so I think part of my self-governance has been not wanting to get too many people um, for fear that if we were to lose an account all of a sudden, would I have to lay them off? And it wasn't, oftentimes it's not their fault. You know, sometimes a, a company can be acquired and they bring in new leadership. It's, you know, um, it's kind of weird because I've thought through this, but I, you know, the question you just, you asked, wow. So, uh, I was at a C2 event, C12 event, uh, two to three, three weeks ago. And, um, the speaker said, I sure hope you thank God every time, basically, you, you make money, every time you make the sale. He said, basically, do you thank God for being able to write the check for your expenses? Specifically, do you thank God for being able to write payroll, to pay your payroll? <laughs> and that's a pretty convicting question, Rory, because and what had happened is 24 hours before, uh, I had run the largest payroll I've run in 18 years. I've got the mm -hmm. strongest, biggest, boldest team I've ever had. And 24 hours before he said that, I was thankful, but I was also a little fearful because uh, I'm committed. If I bring you on, I want to, if you leave, I want to be because you choose to leave, not because I can't provide for you. Wow, this is getting deep, brother. So you're, you're basically, what I heard all that to say is that you don't want to grow the business because you're afraid you won't be able to sustain it and you'll have to lay someone off. Uh, I'm not afraid I won't sustain it. I just don't want to have to lay someone off because of someone else's decision. Uh-huh. But that 
could be inevitable regardless, is, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. you're already in that. You're already in that scenario. I, you know, I, 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 I think the answer to this question is to just be clear on what you want. Like, what is the purpose of the business? I don't think you should grow it just for the sake of growing it. Yeah. Except, except to say, I do think a healthy business should grow. If, if you're building the proper mechanisms in place that create a healthy business, it should grow. It's like a person, right? It's like you don't, you don't stay, you don't actually stay stagnant. And so if you are improving your systems, you're improving your marketing, you're improving your sales, you're improving your customer relationships, certainly over the course of time, your reputation should be growing, your clientele should be growing, so your referrals should be growing, your retention should be growing. So to me, a, a healthy business does grow by virtue of the fact that it is healthy. Right. Um, and it has but I don't, for inflation and cost. It has to. I mean, well, I yeah, know we have too. to. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I do think there is that. Um, but I don't think it's like, I don't think it should be a race to some invisible finish line of going. I think it's easy to get caught up of going, well, my self-worth is attached to the success of the company. And it's like, well, there you're searching for an identity that you're not going to yeah. solve by any number on the page. Um, and, and you know, so I, I do think part of the, the, the question is just like, what is the purpose what is the purpose of the business? And, and also, you know, what is the exit plan? I mean, that is right. something that you got to, you got to deal with and you have to face, um, is going term. you know, when we call it the significance calculation at some point, you're going to have to do something with this. Mm -hmm. So thinking in terms of what is that something going to be, I think is a, is a healthy conversation. It is a, it's a, it's a healthy maybe not a conversation, but a consideration, a, a, you know, a thought process to go, I'm preparing the succession plan for the next generation, whether that means I want, you know, somebody's going to, somebody's going to buy the business or I'm going to transfer it. Um, mm -hmm. or, you know, it's going to wind, I'm going to wind it down in, in some, you know, way that I feel good about. Um, so, you know, I think the, the, the question is, it's like, what is it, it, it? It's all about you. And what do you really want? Do you really want to grow the company, Ed? Like, are you passionate about it, about growing it? Or are you kind of like you're feeling comfortable with where it is? You know, um, I'm definitely I'm definitely uh, a growth mindset individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and, uh, I definitely, uh, I think it was, I think it was in your first podcast. I think you made the comment about entrepreneurs. Look at, uh, I think it was you that, you know, um, some people see a glass half full. Some people see a glass empty An entrepreneur sees a glass and sees three, three dots, of water and goes, oh my gosh, look at the opportunity there. That's amazing, right? Uh, I'm definitely in that class of individual. And um, I, yeah, I, I want to do more. I, I want, uh, I, I don't want to um, ignore the seeds I've been given and I want to multiply them. Um, 
I think the thing is that I like what you said about not some arbitrary number like, oh my gosh, we got to get to five million. But more importantly, why would we want to get to five million? And one of uh, our modern Catherine's life objectives relative to to net worth was that having uh, the liquidity uh, and the empathy uh, to be able to respond to a need uh, when given and called to respond. And that's one of the things that um, net worth and liquidity gives you is the ability to respond to the needs of others when it arises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, agree. I mean, there's definitely a stewardship principle there, huh? Sound familiar? <laughs> there, there is, there is for sure. I mean, the other thing is, you know, the, the other thing, if you just talk about healthy businesses, you know, like a healthy business grows, yeah. um, to me, another sign of a healthy business is that it operates without the founder. Exactly. Like it operates without the dependency of the founder um, because that's the biggest risk. The biggest risk isn't that you would lose an account or, you know, that some crazy thing happens in the economy. The biggest risk is that it's over dependent on you. And one day you say, oh, I'm tired, I'm done, I'm burnt out or whatever. And the whole business is set up, you know, to be dependent on you and you're 18 years into this business. And so it's kind of like, well, if it's healthy, it should be growing and it should be growing without you. If it's yeah. not, then that means that some function of your business um, is not working right because it's overly dependent on you. Right. And th- that, in, 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 when the more you talk, um, the more I think about that. I, I'm wondering that part part of the part of your purpose here for starting the business seems to kind of be attached back to the idea of what you said before, which is that I wanted to create a new type of company in this space, one that whatever had certain ethical principles, one that didn't lay off people, and you're creating opportunity. Yes, for yourself, your ability to give, but it's going. I want to create opportunity for the people around me. Yeah. I want to create a That's company sure. that lives longer than me. Um, you know, like I think about Brand Builders Group, I want to have as many of our team members making six figures. Like that is that is what is so exciting and our clients, right? And there's, you know, there does come this point in life where money starts to lose its its impact on you, although you never run out of needs to fill from giving. Right. Um, but it, it kind of seems like there's an element of this that is tied back to your beginning roots of why you started this was to create something different. And it seems like the real win would be to create a, a self-perpetuating business that continues on with or without Ed in the mm-hmm. way that, that in the way that Ed believed a company should be run with the, with the principles of, what makes you different from everybody else? Um, and it, and it does feel like you're, you know that you're capable of more than you're doing. That does seem to be like a, a theme here, you know, and, um, you know, what I, what I, uh, didn't elaborate on, but it, I'm kind of like, you know how, when you look back over the last couple of weeks and kind of figure out, how you got to where you were today based on several things that happened, you know, um, 
I guess it was, we're looking at four weeks ago, um, we, we gathered my entire team together uh, for basically um, establishing what our collective values are, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I mean, you know, so, so my, my, my ultimate purpose in life personally is uh, to inspire a million joys, you know, and BTY is one of those uh, mechanisms to enable that. Um, but I wanted to get the team together to know what our values were, what our promises were. And so this is what the team came up with. You know, BTY stands for Be True You. So our not our values, but our promise to each other and those we serve is true boldness, true service, true optimism, true collaboration, true brilliance, and true empathy. And I walked out of there and went, okay, this is what the team has basically signed on the line to say, this is who we're going to be to those we serve and to each other. And what you just said about a self-perpetuating business, I had been pondering that more from an exit strategy, from a stewardship strategy, like doing the right thing for everyone versus the self-perpetuating business of having more people part of this enterprise doing business the way that we believe we're called to do. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because the uh, you've been through our eight-figure entrepreneur event, right? Brand uh, Builders. No, uh, coming no, up. you in, haven't been through that one. Oh, that's uh, going to be a great one. Yeah, that's going to yeah, be a great perfect one. Perfect timing, huh? Imagine that. It's going to, it really is going to be perfect timing. So I'll give you, but I'll give you one of the, one of the things that we teach is a business valuation and how business valuations work. And one of the things that we began to realize is um, that a, basically the way businesses are valued are as if they were a money machine and in the ability of that business to, pr- to print a dollar out into the future, like even if once the builder of the machine isn't there. Exactly. Um, And the highest value businesses in terms of the sale value are directly proportionate to the least amount of dependency on the founder. Well, so you go, oh, okay. If I wanted to create a valuable asset, if I wanted to turn my business into a valuable asset, I would make the business less dependent on me. Like the, the person who's most likely to buy it, they don't want to buy a job, right? They right. want to buy something that prints money. They want to buy a money making, right. a money printing yep. machine. Well, so that is true to make it most valuable to someone else. But it is also true that the best business for you to keep is one that prints money without you having to be there. So it's the same aligned objective for different reasons. A Hmm. business worth selling looks a whole lot like a business worth keeping. It self perpetuates. Now, when you sell the business, you're just getting an advance payment on that. Somebody is basically saying, look, if you have a, and these are called multiples and maybe, maybe, maybe what we should do, I'll make a note of this. Maybe we should do a training uh, for success on uh, how multiples and uh, business valuations work. Cause a lot of people don't know. I, I didn't learn this till later in life, but let's say you have a, a money machine that prints a dollar every year. 
Right. Then basically, if I think that's a reliable machine, I might give you, if I gave you a multiple of five, it's because I'm going, oh, I believe that this money machine will print me at least five bucks. And then every year after I'll make money or I can get it to print more than a dollar a year. Well, with what you're doing, it's again, it's the same objective. And, uh, and, and, and here's, here's a way to, here's a way to think about it, right? Since you're a, you're also a brand builder client, you'll know this, right? Is going, the more that Rory has to be involved in brand builders or AJ, the more risky it is for every one of our clients, because the day that I can't show up or don't want to show up for whatever reason, if it's dependent on me, the whole thing breaks down. Yep. If we build it around a team and a culture and a set of principles and philosophies and practices, it's no longer dependent upon me because they have built it and we have transposed what is in mine and AJ's head into a set of philosophy that's that are pragmatic and you can touch and people can apply to their own life. And now, whether we're there or not, the value of that thing lives on both for the customer and for the team member. Like for me, I get super excited about both of those. Um, Part of, part of my prayer every day is that, that, that we would grow our company fast enough to provide exciting opportunities and lifestyles for the people that are here without growing us so fast that become, that we become overwhelmed and consumed just for the right. sake of growth. And We've that's where that I think happened you, before, right? <laughs> totally. And, and that's yeah. one thing that's really difficult about having investors or going public is all of a sudden you, you can't grow according to the natural growth curve, you have to grow at an accelerated growth curve because people have put money in and and now money becomes one of the primary success measurements. But what you're doing, you have this opportunity to go, it should be growing and it should be becoming more and more self-perpetuating and less and less dependent upon you. And unfortunately, for a lot of small businesses, they don't become less and less dependent on the founder. In some ways, they become more and more More dependent dependent on the founder. And if you're doing that, ultimately, you're disserving your team, you're disserving your future customer, and you're you're disserving yourself um, because you've got to be there. And, and again, whether you're going to sell the company or keep the business, it doesn't really matter because a company worth selling looks a whole lot like I a company that. worth keeping. I love that. So I think that, that is the, that's the advantage that privately held companies have, especially if you don't have investors. Of bootstrap companies is it's like it can grow at a healthy pace it's kind of like you don't have to take it's like if you looked at the human it's like you don't have to take steroids you know like you don't have to right. force growth yeah. but you also sh- shouldn't be becoming overweight and lazy like it, right. you should be right and still work out that's right maybe and do a spin should, class <laughs> that's right do a spin class every once in a while uh, and so that's that's what i would say is to go so let me ask you this question how yeah. dependent is your business on you right now uh, I would tell you that, you know, on the scale of uh, dependent and then uh, independent, 
I would say we are closer to interdependent than dependent, but we're not fully independent. And right. uh, four years ago, I couldn't have said that. We have been very deliberate over the last two years in working towards that. We still have a ways to go. And that was really what my C12 buddies were really telling me is that uh, your team is doing amazing. They could do so much more if you would enable them and uh, allow them. And not that I was doing things literally to hold them back, but yeah. I wasn't doing things as deliberately. Uh, and you know what it's like. I mean, you've started companies where you, I mean, the I, I learned at Chick-fil-A, the best restaurant leader is the one who's willing to get down on their knees and sweep the floor because you got to be willing to do the work. And I think sometimes as founders, we can fall into that, that we like, we're obligated to, or we're not doing our job if we're not doing enough of the work. But the reality is that there's there's uh, exponential value in the more people doing the work even better than you can do it. That's I mean, right. I mean, right? you should be willing to do the work. Like you should never that's be right. above doing right. anything. And if push comes to shove, you should be willing to clean the toilet, empty the trash, knock on a door, <laughs> make the cold call. Like, yeah. like, but, but if you just play the role of um, stewardship and you go, are my employees going to have a job after I leave? Right. Then you go, no, no, no. Someone else needs to be able to do that so that it's not dependent on me or any one person, right? It's, it's, it's to have a, a, a company that becomes an entity, a structure that gives life to the, to the people. It provides a future stream of income and retirement and gives them money for their families and their kids' education. And it's, it's the company becomes an entity in and of itself that gives life to everyone else. It's not dependent on the founder. That is what I think entrepreneurs should strive for because it's both the best thing for them and it is the best thing for their team for and the people. customers. And exactly. it's the most, it's the most valuable. Like yeah. it's also the thing that would make it most likely for someone to show up and say, Hey, I will buy this from you. And at the same time, if no one shows up to say, I will buy this from you, you go, I don't care because I don't need someone to buy it because I'm not overwhelmed and exhausted and burnt out and doing everything myself and just like stressed. Um, you know, there is um, a, a, a guy named Alan Weiss who says he's got this thing. He says, wealth is discretionary time. Um, wealth is discretionary time. And again, it's, it's just like the self-perpetuating business is to me, the legacy. It's the thing and it should grow and a, and a healthy business should grow and it should be becoming less and less dependent on the founder. Otherwise everybody's jobs are at risk. And, and I'm saying on the founder, cause that's normally who it is, but I would say it should be true about anyone, right? You don't right. want any one person in the organ, like the whole organization cannot be beholden to one, to one person. Yeah. No. A set of philosophies, a set of processes and practices and principles, um, a shared, a shared vision to where it's like the company is, it's like at first the entrepreneur gives life to the company. Like the entrepreneur gives life to the company 
But if you do it right, at some point, the company raises, it rises to be above the entrepreneur to where the company gives life to everybody inside the company, including the entrepreneur. Um, and, wow. <laughs> and that, you know, so and wow. <laughs> that's what you have an opportunity to do here, Ed. Yeah. Mm-mm. You know, it's one of the words I wrote down was that, um, that really what we're striving for is an interdependent organism. You're saying it should be an interdependent organism or an independent organism? Uh, well, I think it should be interdependent organism uh, as a next stage, but then ultimately it should be an independent organism that the enterprise feeds off itself and does what it's called to do without requiring or being essential for my contribution. Yes. And so we're not, we're not an independent organism right now, you know? Correct. But if, if you went on is, vacation for six months, it would put everyone's job at risk. Right. Now I'll tell you, I, I uh, totally disconnected for nine days uh, within the last two and a half weeks. And that was another milestone over the last four weeks that was a highlight of exactly what I had. Cause literally, you know, team didn't skip a beat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had, are you the number one producer? Are you the number one revenue producer? You know, it's interesting. I would say that, uh, cause that's a real common thing and that's a real big problem. So what, uh, what my C12 team, uh, shared with me was that, um, as I talked through the last three, four, five, six, seven brands that we have started working with, um, that they didn't choose us because of me. However, I'm in the habit of typically being the one to kind of close the sale. And we talked Mm -hmm. about that I should never close another sale by myself, that there should be one of my team members who's actually there walking through the business proposal so that from day one, the new client sees at least us equally yoked, right? But more importantly, that it's not Ed and the team serving, it's Anna Marie and the team or Rachel and the team, because frankly, the reason people choose to work with us is our team. It's not just what I can do. It's our team. Some want more of me than others. You can probably, you know, understand that as well. You've got some clients that probably want more of you than others. Um, but it's over the last two or three years has become much more deliberate, you know, has been much more intentional what my contribution to the ongoing support, because we're a retained services firm. It's not projects. We establish a relationship. We've got clients we worked with for 10, 11, 12 years. And, um, you know, for some of those clients, I may be in a monthly meeting for an hour. It doesn't mean I don't know what's going on, but my, I'm not producing the work. So mm-hmm. with our clients... You know, well, the biggest question is the sale, like the the, the the most dangerous part is if the sale depends on you and we take you out, then your business falls apart. That's, and that's what most founders never get past. And that's why they never get true freedom and they can't really sell the thing or they sell the thing and it's not worth much is you got to have a mechanism that creates sales without you being there. And then if you can have it deliver without you being there. And because then, then that's the next challenge I think for you, Ed, is so clear to me in this conversation. It's like, you got a great business. The question is now, 
can you build a business that operates without you? The more you do that, the more you'll be able to create more opportunity for your customers and for your team members. And you actually could actually spend more of your time on scaling the business and your time will shift from spending time with customers to spending time more internally. And that is another poll that a lot of entrepreneurs in your, in your revenue range have is it's like they're constantly called pulled between client work and working on other people's businesses versus working on themselves. And if it's a healthy growing business, it should be less and less of that client work and more of more of working on your own. And so you seem to be in a position where financially none of this really matters short term. And I think you've, you've given yourself the, the privilege and the opportunity to do that. So build a company that will live without you, will self-perpetuate, that will provide opportunity for your team, for your customers. And if you do that, you, you create the most value for everybody, whatever that looks like. <laughs> Oh my God. You know, isn't it amazing that the things we know, uh, but that we is, is more difficult to like, I don't even say practice ourselves, but to speak to ourselves, the wisdom. I close almost every uh, presentation I make with the parable of the talents. <laughs> and that's just what we talked about the last hour. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, go out and do it, buddy. Wow, this is great. You know, this is great, Rory. I tell you, I, I love anytime I get to spend with you. I mean, it's just uh, your ability just to drill down in and bring the global perspective, but then bring it to my macro, then micro, and then back. I really appreciate it. Well, we believe in you, man. Go out there, make it happen, build a business that survives without you and provides opportunity for many, many years to come, brother. And uh, we'll wish you the best and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch for sure. Thanks for taking my call, man. (laughs) Love that conversation with Ed, because I think it is a really important question that not enough entrepreneurs ask, right? Which is how much is enough? That concept of enoughness came up is, you know, how much should I grow? How how do you know you've built your business to the right size? And um, I think the more that we talk that out, the more I realize that it's less of like, you know, some certain number of like, okay, we got there. It's less of this idea that like there is a finish line. And it's more to me, especially with businesses, it's more about it's more about the health of the business. And I want to share with you three things that healthy businesses should be. Um, and if your if your business is doing these three things, or these are three signs that your business is healthy. Um, and so it's it's less of like, oh, it's got to do this much or this much or hit this number. It's just these these are the three characteristics of healthy businesses okay or, or three of of the characteristics so first of all healthy businesses should grow if you're doing things right things should improve they should get better they should build upon themselves and so naturally over the course of time if you're installing more systems, more processes, better people, more reputation, a bigger client list, more marketing, more reach, all of those things point to the idea that a healthy business should grow. If if not, I would say there's a sign that there's something wrong. And and um, 
So that is something that you, you, you want to be looking at just as an organism. And I would, I would call that revenue. I mean, that's, that's really the, the, the measure and you go, well, how much? Well, to some extent, I think it depends, but um, I think, you know, realistically, if a business is healthy, the revenue, at least I'll just tell you for me, I'm looking for at least a 20% growth on revenue, especially early on when the revenues are small. Now, once you get, you know, larger, it becomes, it, you know, can become harder. Like it's, it's, it's one thing to go from 1 million to 1.2 million in an annual revenues. It's another to go from a hundred million to 120 million. But really I think 20% revenue growth is a healthy number. And if you look at, you know, how you're going to get the maximum valuation and all that stuff, if you're going to sell the company, showing that high accelerated revenue growth is one factor, um, you know, consistent, 20% revenue growth is one factor for determining the ultimate multiple. So healthy businesses should be growing just regardless of if you're selling it or not. The second thing is healthy businesses should make money. They should, right? So you could, you would, you could call that profit. Um, the, the, remember that the, the illustration of the money machine, right? So businesses are valued, based on uh, the, the, the estimated future cash flows, right? What does that mean? It basically just goes, if I have a money machine and it prints a dollar, and how many years into the future do I think this money machine is reliable for? So if it prints a dollar a year, and I go, I'll give you, th- I'll give you three dollars for your for your machine that prints a one dollar bill every year. I'm giving you a a three a, a x multiple, three of you know typically EBITDA or profit or you know f- for lack of a better term, is just going. Um, I'm paying you in advance to buy your to buy your money machine. Well, whether you're going to sell this company or not, it needs to make money. If the company doesn't make profit, it's not self-sustaining like it it literally cannot give life to itself and you know a lot of companies you 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 know you hear of like raising millions of dollars and people spending millions and millions of dollars you know that's certainly a model and there's a there's you know a little bit of a game to that and oh you know some a lot of a lot of risk and gambling and it works in certain spaces and high tech and all that kind of stuff but you know if you're bootstrapping a business it's got to make money right away. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is going, if, if it, this thing's losing money, like what's the runway until I run out of cash and entrepreneurs, even if you're going to take on investors, even if you're taking on funding, you can't just think, Oh, we've got all this money. You have to treat it. At least if I were on the board or I was an investor or I was the founder or I was on the leadership team, it's like, you have to treat it like it's your own money? You, there's, there's not just some infinite pot of gold that's going to fund any business. The thing has to be turned profitable. And even if you've got a bunch of investor capital, like until the thing becomes profitable, it's not self-perpetuating. So it is a problem that the thing is not profitable. Um, and you know, for most small businesses and bootstrappers and true, like, uh, you know, kind of like 
call it scrappy entrepreneurs, you're going to understand that real quick because it's it's probably your money. And most businesses that are become huge businesses are started, you know, by the founder. And I forget what the exact statistics are, but I'm pretty sure in the U.S. it's like most companies that become successful were started with less than fifty thousand dollars, like the vast majority of them. And that's because when you don't have a lot of money to blow through you figure out how to make it profitable quickly because if you can't, it won't survive. Well, that should always be a focus is going, okay, how are we making profits? And theoretically, the profit margin should be improving year after year if you're gaining more efficiencies inside of the organization. Not only should your top line be growing, but you should be able to produce that profit if if your money machine is getting tighter and more streamlined it should make a higher percentage of profit. Now, sometimes that is not true for a while because you're investing in other things, but it still has to make money. So healthy businesses should make money. You have to almost separate yourself from the business and think of the business as a money-making machine. It, it's, it's just something that, that, that prints money. And whatever the business actually does is kind of irrelevant when you look at it in terms of... Um, you know, the valuation of the company, it, it's, it, the real question is, are we making profit consistently? Is it improving? You know, is the profit margin like the percentage improving, but it should be, if it's healthy, you should be making money. Um, which brings me to number three, a healthy business should become less and less dependent on the founder. It should, a healthy business should become less and less dependent on the founder for many reasons. The more dependent a business is on the founder, the more at risk the entire business operation is for everyone, for the customers, for the, for the employees, for the founder, and for the potential acquirer, right? If a business is dependent on the founder or just one person, whoever that person is, typically the founder, let's say, if, the, if something happens to that person customers lose their ability to be served. The employees lose their job and an acquirer can't buy that thing. It doesn't create any future value. So dependency becomes one of the linchpin um, liabilities. The founder dependency is a linchpin liability of every company. A healthy business should become should be becoming less and less dependent on the founder over time. And so that's what I wanted to see for Ed, right? As he talked, it's less about, oh, you need enough money to retire, or get a private jet or whatever. I don't really care about that. But it's going, look, you're 54 years old. What's going to happen to you in whatever 5, 10, 15, 20, how many years it is, you got to start thinking about that now because it's not easy. It's not easy to remove yourself from the business. I mean, I'm telling you very matter of fact, that's what needs to happen. But let me also say in the same breath, it ain't easy to do this, but it's what you need to start working towards. You know, and you say, how soon? I would say from day one. I mean, that is one thing that AJ and I are doing now in Brand Builders Group, our company today, is we're much more in tune with the fact that it's like, we have to make this business less and less dependent on us quickly. Otherwise, it, it puts everybody at risk. And remember, even, even if you don't have any intention to sell it, I mean, it definitely makes your business more valuable because if the business operates without you, someone can come buy the business and they're buying a money, they're buying your money machine. But a business worth selling looks a whole lot like a business worth keeping. So even if I don't sell it, if I go, hey, I've got this business that operates in a very healthy way without me, then I own the business, the business doesn't own me. And in many cases, 
which is normal and it's very difficult, especially in the early years. It's less like the entrepreneur owns the business and it's more like the business owns the entrepreneur. And that's natural. The entrepreneur gives birth to the company. But if you do these things, a healthy business should grow revenue. A healthy business should make, should make profit and a healthy business should grow without the founder. If you do that, then over the course of time, the business becomes a larger entity that it becomes bigger than the founder and it gives life for future generations and years um, to everybody that lives after you. And that is an amazing impact. That is worth a lot of, you know, profound value. And it is also worth a lot of financial value. So build the self-sustaining business that lives much longer than you do. That's it for this week on The Success Line. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. If you would like to appear on The Success Line, head to success.com slash success line guest to fill out the application form. If you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to rate, review, and most of all, tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.